How sweet the sound of saving grace. How sweet the sound of saving grace. Christ died for me. Saving grace this morning is so sweet because it recognizes and realizes that Christ died for me. I want you to take your Bibles now and open them up into 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll be looking at verses 6 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're looking at verses 6 to 9. And as we're thinking about the scripture this morning, there is a a type of preaching. There is a type of preaching that I hate. In fact, there is a type of preaching that I despise. And it is the type of preaching that says, when you believe in Jesus, everything in your life it will be fine. When you believe in Jesus, it is only going to be blessing. When you believe in Jesus, it is going to be your best life now. And why I hate that type of preaching is because it is just not true. That is not life for the Christian. Once you believe in Jesus, that does not mean that all your troubles and all your trials will go away. It is just not true. Christians get cancer. Christians lose their jobs. Christians have struggling marriages. Christians have hard family lives at home. Christians get angry. Christians get depressed. Christians go through trials and anxiety. Christians get lonely. Christians go through financial troubles and difficulties. Many trials come into the lives of Christians. It is not that once you believe in Jesus, it is all going to be rainbows and fairy tales from here on in. No, Christians have trials and difficulties that come into our lives every single day. So the question is not, are we going to get trials? The question is, when we get trials, when trials come, what should we do? When difficulties and hardships come into our lives, what should we do then? That's the question. And I believe that the passage that we have before us this morning answers that question so well. What should we do when trials come our way? Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is one thing that is clear from this passage, and it is this. Christians experience trials. 
So what should we do when trials come? Well, I believe there's four things that we as Christians are to remember when trials come into our lives. Four things. Three of those, we will look at, the, at them all in verse 6. And the, and, the, and the final one, we will look at verses 7, 8, and 9. What should we remember when trials come our way in our lives? The first thing we need to remember is this about trials. Our trials in this world, they are temporary. You need to realize and remember that our trials in this world, they are temporary. Our trials, they are momentary. What does he say in verse 6? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. A little while we experience trials. We experience hardships and difficulties. He begins by saying, in this you rejoice. And what he is talking about there is what we've been talking about last week, that there is something that Christians look forward to. And there is something that Christians take joy in in this life. And that is the life that is to come. We rejoice in what is coming our way. We rejoice in what we talked about last week. We rejoice in the living hope that we have in Jesus. We rejoice in the resurrection that we have in Jesus. We rejoice in the salvation that we have in Jesus. We rejoice in the fact that he is coming back again. We rejoice that we have a living hope. And that is the Christian life. It is a forward-looking life. We are to live a life that looks forward. You see, looking forward is what is going to get us through our day, isn't it? Even as, even as just normal human beings, take the Christian thing out of it for a second. As normal human beings, there are certain things that will get us through our day. And what are those things that get us through our day? Everything that we're looking forward to. When we get up in the morning, we, we look forward to our breakfast. And then we look forward to meeting people in the day. And then we look forward to our lunch. And then we look forward to going home after work and work finishing. And then we look forward to eating our dinner. And then we look forward to putting our, our feet up and relaxing and watching the TV. And then we look forward to curling up in our bed and relaxing and resting for the night. That's what often gets us through the day. Looking forward to those different moments in life gets us through the day. And as Christians, what we are to do in our lives is not just look forward in the day, but look forward in our lives. The Christian faith is a looking forward faith. And so we can rejoice in our, our trials and our difficulties because we are looking forward to the day when all of it ends. We are looking forward to the living hope. We are looking forward to the resurrection. We are looking forward to the time when our tears are done, our pain is gone, and death is no more. We are looking forward to that. But now, now, we experience the reality of life. We experience the reality of trials, trials that are for a little while. And that is the perspective we are to have on our trials. They are momentary. They are temporary. 
they last a little while. You see, there are two perspectives that Christians are to have in life. The first perspective is, is the short life perspective. That perspective on life that says this life is the little while life. This life does not last forever. It was the life that Brendan was talking back about a few weeks ago in, in Psalm 90 when, when the psalmist said, teach us to number our days. Our days are few. And then in Psalm 90, verse 10, he talks about our days maybe being 70 or 80 years by strength or even longer nowadays. But there is this reality that life in this world is short. That is the Christian perspective. It is short. That is what James tells us in James 4, verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. That is our life. And that is our perspective as Christians. Our life is a vapor. Our life is a mist. Our life is here today and gone tomorrow. Which means that the trials and troubles that happen in this life are temporary. And the reason we can have that temporary view is because of the other life perspective that we should have. Not only that our life is is the short life, but our life is eternal life. And our afflictions are momentary in light of the eternal life that we are expecting to live. This life is 80, 90 years, whatever the Lord may give us. But eternity is forever. And that is this perspective we should have. It is amazing when you look at Paul. And you look at all the trouble and the afflictions and heartache that he went through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the disowning of friends, the the imprisonments, all of this that he went through. And he spoke about his trials in this way. I want you to listen to what he says about his trials in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. It is incredible what he says. He says this about his trials. For this light and momentary Affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. What is Paul saying? The beatings and the imprisonments and the shipwrecks and everything that I'm experiencing. Here's what he says. They are light and momentary in comparison with the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in heaven. That is what we are to remember in our trials. As we are going through them, these trials are limited. These trials will only last for a little while. I rejoice because eternity is coming. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do quite a strange thing. I'm going to ask you this morning to interview your perspective. Personify your perspective for a second. Interview your perspective and ask your perspective this. Say to your perspective, perspective. Are you a short life perspective or are you an eternal life perspective? 
Perspective, are you consumed by just the mere troubles of this world? Or perspective, are you waiting for an eternity of glory with your Savior? And as you interview your perspective, what answer will you get? And maybe this morning you need to be encouraged. I need a change of perspective. I need a change of reality that my life is not this world. This world is momentary. It is temporary. But what awaits me is eternity. So maybe we need a change of perspective as we remember our trials are momentary. But in that, we need to be careful, don't we? Because some of you right now are going through some very difficult and hard times. In life. And and it may not suit you to hear. Listen, this is momentary. It may be momentary, but it still does not mean that it does not hurt. And that's the reality about our trials. That's the second thing we need to remember about our trials. Our trials hurt. Remember, your trials are grievous. Remember, your trials are sorrowful. Look at what he says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What does that tell us? Our, Our trials are grievous. So while our trials may be momentary, hear me, that does not mean that they do not hurt. Though they might be momentary, they might last your lifetime. And that means that they'll hurt for a long time on this earth. And so we hold those two things in tension, don't we? Our trials, yes, on one hand, they're momentary, but on the other hand, they're grievous and they do hurt. And this, brothers and sisters, is something I believe we need to realize in the church. Our trials are painful, they are sorrowful, and they hurt. And sometimes we can give the impression in the church to maybe those who are not Christians and to those who are new Christians that, you know, when you come in here, you just need to behave all happy. We're the happy, clappy Christians, you know. We're just always smiling. Life is going well. Everything's always going good for us. And we contend in the church to give that impression. But we need to have space in the church. Space for our trials to grieve us. Space to be able to be sorrowful. We need to allow each other that space in our trials. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, when you come into church, sometimes those leading worship, they will say something like this. And, and, and believe me, I'm not pointing any fingers. I, I have done this myself years back. You know, you get into worship, you come into worship, you, you're, you're told to all stand up. And the person leading the worship will say to you, here's, here's what I want you to do. You have many distractions and all this stuff going on in your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those distractions and put them aside now. It is time for us to worship God. Let's worship God. Let's put all those distractions away and worship our God with everything that we have. Here's the problem with that approach. When I finish singing and when I finish worshiping, do you know what happens? 
those trials are still there. Oh, I put them aside for a second, but they're still there. No, what we're supposed to do in our worship is bring all of that stuff, bring all of that sorrow, bring all of that anxiety, bring all of that stress, bring all of those anxieties and all of those distractions to our God in worship. We're supposed to bring it to him. And so what that means for our church in passage, brothers and sisters, is this, is we need to allow each other the space to grieve when our trials hurt, because they do. It is not just enough to say, ah, you know what, it's only going to last a little while. No. Come alongside people and we say, yes, it will last a little while. And yes, it will hurt. We need to give each other that space. And the reason we need to give each other that space is because there's that space given to us in Scripture. There is this songbook that we have in the Bible. The songbook is called the Book of Psalms, which essentially means in Hebrew, praises, praises. It is the Book of Praises. And we call it the book, but what you need to realize, uh, the book is actually split up into five different books in the Psalms. You'll see that heading, book number one, book number two, three, four, and five, split up into these different types of books. But not only is it split up into these different types of books, it's also split up into these different types of genre. There's different types of songs. And you'd expect that any of us who know music know there's different types of music. There's rock, there's jazz, there's hip hop, there's all sorts of types of music. And so there is in the Psalms. And in the Psalms, we have different types of songs. We have Thanksgiving songs, praise songs. We have what they call royal psalms. We have psalms of ascent. We have these royal psalms within them. There's these messianic psalms. There's all types of psalms in this book, all types of songs. But there's one genre. There's one type of song that we often miss, and it is this, the psalms of lament. And do you know that in the psalms, two-thirds of them are psalms of lament? We don't teach the Psalms that way. We pick out the glorious Thanksgiving Psalms and the praise Psalms. Two-thirds of them are lament. What that tells us is that two-thirds of them are sorrow songs. And what that tells us is that there is space in our worship to ask God, Lord, what is going on? That's what the lament songs are. And so in our church, corporately, we need to give each other that space to grieve our trials and to pray with one another and and mourn together and cry together and experience this pain and suffering together in this world because it is real. And also individually, can I encourage you today, if you are feeling that sorrow and hardship of your trials, can I encourage you? To lament. Come before the Lord. I mean, you know, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. That's not going to be a holly jolly book, I can tell you that. There's a book of sorrow and grief and hardship and difficulty. So I'd encourage you to lament. Well, then you might ask, how am I going to lament? 
Well, the lament psalms, they have this structure to them. And if you have a pen, I want to encourage you to write down the structure to them. And it is going to teach you how you can pray and how you can sing in this way. There's five steps in this structure. Firstly, you come to the Lord and you say to the Lord simply this. Lord, I am suffering. Lord, I am going through hardship, Lord. It's number one. And then you come to him and you say, number two, Lord, everyone is against me. Everything is against me. Every circumstance is against me. This is hard, Lord. Number two. Number three, where are you, Lord? Lord, I'm suffering. Lord, everyone is against me. And then, Lord, Lord, where are you, Lord? Where have you gone, Lord? Number three. Number four. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, is this going to last? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to keep this pain and this suffering going? How long, O oh Lord? But then number five. Number five. Lord, no matter what, I am going to praise you anyway. Because, Lord... You are worthy. And that, my friends, is is a lament. That's how we call out to God. Lord, where are you? Lord, I'm suffering. Lord, everyone is against me. Lord, how long, oh Lord? And finally, Lord, in this pain, I'm going to praise you because you are worthy. And we need to allow ourselves in the church To sing in this way. Remember. Our trials are momentary. But remember. Our trials are grievous. Hard and difficult and painful. Number three. Remember. Our trials are various. Yes they are grievous. But they are various. Look what it says again in verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There are all sorts of different trials, all sorts of different types of trials. Our trials are various. And this is so helpful for us, isn't it? To realize that in our trials, you know, to realize that He didn't even mention a specific trial here. And I'm so glad that he didn't mention a specific trial here. Do you know why? Because had he mentioned a specific trial that those churches in Turkey were going through, then we would read it and say, oh, that trial is not my trial. So so it's not specific to me. So so it doesn't mean anything to me. So I can't do anything with it. That trial is not my trial. So I can't do anything about it. But when he says trials are various, that means this applies to all of us. No matter what we are going through, it applies to every single one of us that is going through our trials. 
sometimes in relation to trials, we, we need to remember that they are various. And, and the reason we need to remember that they are various is because we can feel two wrong feelings in relation to our trials. Two wrong feelings in relation to our trials. The first wrong feeling that we can feel is a guilt in our trials. Because we are going through something that hurts us and, and pains us and that is sorrowful and grievous. And then we feel a guilt for feeling that because as we look at other people in their lives, we see that they are going through way worse trials than us. So then in order to make us feel better, we kind of go, oh, they're going through worse. So what I need to do is just pick myself up now and live life because I'm not going through as bad trials as anybody else. Listen to me. That is a wrong perspective on your trials. You need to learn this. Your trial is your trial. Your difficulty is your difficulty. If it causes you hurt and causes you pain, it is a trial that you can bring before the Lord. You need not feel guilty about how small it is or how bad you feel in relation to how small it is. That is a wrong perspective. The other wrong perspective in relation to our trial is is to simply feel this, I'm alone in my trial. So often we think that our trials that we're going through, they are so bad and so hard that no one else can understand this. No one else can get it. And so we, we start to despise other people and we start to kind of hate the, even the church sometimes because we kind of feel like I can't even go in there and be with these people because they just don't get my trial. What you need to realize is no. Your trial is your trial, and their trial is their trial, and all our trials are various, varying degrees, varying consequences, varying levels of pain, but it does not mean that they are not true. And so what we need to do in the church is come to this place where we realize that everybody's just going through something. Every one of us this morning, we're going through something. Something's going on in our lives. Something's happening in our lives. We need to allow each other that space to feel our trials. We need to remember that our trials are momentary. Remember that our trials are grievous. Remember that our trials are various. But above all of this, Above all of this, we need to remember that our trials have a purpose. Our trials have a purpose in God's plan. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may not have this worldview that trials have a purpose. You may feel like that's just life. They don't have a purpose. Life sucks and that's it. But for believers, we believe. That our trials have a purpose. And we see that purpose in the rest of the verses. Now I'm just going to go through this briefly. So don't panic. Gee, Mac, he's only gone through one verse. Listen, don't panic. We're going we're to rush to the finish line here. But I want you to see that ultimately our trials have a purpose. And we see that. In the first two words, the first two words of verse 7, let me read it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do I know our trials have a purpose? Because of the first two words in that verse. What are the first two words? So that. You say to yourself, well, so what? Well, listen to me, just for Bible reading, just for a second, this will really help you in your Bible reading. We always say that catchphrase, you know, what is the therefore, therefore? And we say the therefore is there to show us the conclusion of the passage. And most of the time, that is right. When you see a therefore, it is a big conclusion in the passage. But when you see a so that, you should ask yourself, so what? And the so that in scripture, in the letters especially, tells you the purpose of everything the writer has been saying. And what he's been saying is this, your trials are momentary, your trials are grievous, your trials are various, but your trials have a purpose. So that the purpose is twofold. Firstly, so that we may prove the genuineness of our faith. We go through trials in this life so the genuineness of our faith can be proved, so the genuineness of our faith can be tested. This is what he says in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. What people want in this world is authentic Christianity. Genuine Christianity. Don't give me fake Christianity. Don't give me fake smiles. We want to be genuine in our faith. And what trials do is they come in and they shake the boat of your life so that the genuineness of your faith can be tested. Let me put it to you in this way. It may seem a strange example, but I like playing sports. And one of the sports I like is golf. Now, I don't play it too often, but I like golf. It's, it's okay. I, I like to play. Here's the problem. I only like to play golf when it is sunny. I don't like to play golf in the rain. When it's sunny, I'll go out. But when it's raining, there's no way you are going to see me on the course. I am not going to play. There's not a chance I am going to do it. And what you would call me then, there's a name for me. I am a fair weather golfer. I am only going to play in the sun. And that is the problem with many of us in Christianity. We say to God, you know what, God? I'm only going to play in the sun. I'm not going to play in the rain, Lord. If you send sun to me in my life, I'm going to play in the sun. I'm going to play Christianity all day long in the sun. But if you give me rain, oh Lord, if you give me the storm, no way I'm following you. But true and genuine Christianity follows Christ in the storm, follows Christ in the difficulties of life. So let me ask you this morning. Is your faith genuine? Well, whatever trial you are going through is going to prove to you whether your faith is real or not, whether your faith is authentic or not, whether your faith is genuine or not.
That's what trials do. They test us. That's when the rubber meets the road of Christianity. Are you going to follow Christ when life is hard? Because here is what faith is like. Faith is like gold. It is refined in the fire of life. But faith is more precious than gold. Gold will perish at the end. Faith will last for eternity. Because we can trust in Jesus. This is what our trials do. And on that day, at the end of the verse, on that day, at the end of verse 7, it tells us that we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. That when we go through these trials that have tested our faith and refined our faith, and at the end we say, I still love you, Lord, anyway. No matter what comes in my life, I'm still going to love you anyway. I'm going to serve you anyway. I'm going to live for you anyway. Because I know that eternity is coming my way. And then on that day, if you live for him anyway, when you're going through all of these trials, you will be found in him. So on that final day, there's two realities for you. You can either be found out or found in. If you are found out on that day of revelation of Jesus Christ, not only is Jesus revealed, but your life is revealed. You can't fake Christianity on that day. You may be found out. But on that day, my prayer for you is that you will be found in. You will be found in Jesus Christ. (laughs) That you will come over the finishing line of faith and you will be bruised. And battered and beaten from life. And yet he will say to you, my good, faithful servant. <laughs> oh, he keeps us in our trials till the end. That's the first purpose in our trials, to prove the genuineness of our faith. And the last purpose in our trials is to point to us the joy of our faith show us the joy of our faith that's the purpose in our trials to get us off ourselves and get us looking to God because what happens when pain comes into your life is you start to say there must be something else in this world there must be some better hope in this world Because everything that I'm going through is just too hard and too difficult right now. There must be something better. So that's what trials do. They point you to the joy of our salvation. If we didn't go through trials, you know what we would be pointed to? We would be pointed to just the goodness of life. But when we go through trials, what we're pointed to is the goodness of our Savior, even through those trials. And that's what he says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What you need to realize is that we are different from Peter, who is writing this letter. And Peter knows. You see. Peter was there when Jesus called him. Peter was there when Jesus went from town to town. Peter was there when Jesus healed people. Peter was there when Jesus preached. 
Peter was there when Jesus was betrayed. Peter was there when Jesus was crucified. Peter was there when Jesus rose from the dead. Peter was there for all of it. Peter saw all of it. And we saw none of it. And Peter knows that. That is why Peter says, though you do not see him, you love him, don't you? I know you, Peter is saying. I know you, Christian. You're going through a hard time. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through a tough time. Listen, I know that don't, though you don't see him, you love him. I know you do. And I know that though you don't see him, you believe in him. I know you do. And I know that though you don't see him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And so that's a glorious thing about this passage. This passage begins with joy and ends with joy. Rejoice then. This inexpressible joy. And that again is the paradox of Christian life. It's the paradox of the Christian life that we can feel two seemingly completely contradictory feelings at the very same time. In the Christian life, we can feel two completely different feelings at the very same time. On the one hand, we can feel inexpressible pain, sorrow, and hurt. And yet on the other hand, at the very same time, we can feel inexpressible joy. That's the paradox of the Christian life. At the same time, you can experience inexpressible pain and inexpressible joy. Yet give honor and glory to the Savior. And you say to yourself, well, how is it possible that the joy and pain can meet together? What, what makes those two things meet together? Let me tell you, what makes those two things meet together is Jesus our Savior. The one who we do not see. Because in the scripture, it is clear. We are clearly told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he experienced both these things for us. Chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our Savior. At the very same time, he experienced inexpressible joy for the joy set before him and inexpressible pain for you. And so as we fix our eyes on our Savior, we live a life that says, Oh, my trials, they hurt. But, oh, Jesus, I don't see you. But I love you. I believe in you. I rejoice in you. 
that is just amazing, isn't it? You know, I'm reminded of my conversation with, with my, with my um, non-Christian friends, my atheist friends, and, and it, it's almost like they're saying something to me like, like this. You believe that Jesus was, was born of a virgin? Yes, yes, I believe. You believe that Jesus lived a, a sinless life? You, you believe that? Yes, I believe that. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and the sins of whoever would trust in him. You believe. Yes, I believe. You believe then he was buried for three days. You believe that? Yes, I believe. And you believe you're telling me that you believe that on the third day, on the third day, he rose again. Yes, I believe that. And you're telling me you believe that not only did he do that, but he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. You believe that? Yes, I believe that. Even though you didn't see any of that, you believe that? Yes. Believe that. Yes. I love him. Even though I don't see him, I love him. And I know you don't get it. I know you don't get it. But I love him. Because he's changed my life. I believe in him. Because he's changed my life. I have an inexpressible joy in my soul when I'm going through pain. Because my Jesus is real. Brothers and sisters, no matter what trial you are going through this morning, turn to Jesus, the joy of your salvation. I want us to respond this morning by singing together. He will hold me fast. Sing it at the top of your lungs, even if you're alone, even if you're in an awkward situation where there's people in the room with you, just sing to the Lord. He will hold me fast. And then we'll have time to reflect and and talk together and speak about these different things. And maybe you'll have an angle that I missed this morning on trials. I would love you to help us out and and talk about those and and share verses uh, with us. But let us sing now. He will hold me fast.